Welcome to Talks with Terry. Sit back and enjoy the show. to another episode of Talks with Terry. As always, I'm Terry, and today is the last day of October. I am recording this on Halloween. It is the end of our month of spooky here on the show, and I think this month has been a great success, especially with the rollout of the new show format and the topics that we've been covering Um, So thank you all so much for the continued support, especially this past month, and I hope to hear more from you guys in the months to come. Uh, We're going to get right into uh, some of the uh, new topic that we have, our final spooky topic, Um, and then near the end, I will will reveal sort of what the general idea is for November's topic, Um, so stay tuned for that. Um, But... These past few weeks, uh, we've gone over some interesting topics in the name of the Halloween season. Uh, We did the haunted town in southern Illinois, Alton, uh, which was awesome for me to research. Uh, We did sort of a look on the horror genre out there and all of the sub-genres that you find, especially in horror cinema, but also some in um, horror fiction in general. Uh, We did some good old-fashioned scary stories, um, which, you know, you got to do that in the spooky season, um, especially as we are, you know, moving into uh, sitting around the campfire or the bonfire. What, what, you know, what's better than having some scary stories in there? And then we also talked about the strange phenomenon of the black hat man that thousands of individuals have claimed to see um, all across the world um, as sort of their unique sleep paralysis uh, demon figure. So it's been great having to go over this stuff. It's been great at researching it. I have found it all very fascinating, and I hope you guys have enjoyed listening it, listening to it as well. But today, in honor of the most terrifying and exciting holiday of the year for most people... Uh, We are going to take a look into one of the most horrifying concepts in all of human belief. This place, this physical or metaphysical place, has rested in the minds of people since the beginnings of our collective thought as human beings. It is a realm that inspires fear and anguish for people in every major faith in the world. It is the spawning ground for thousands of horrors from the deepest corners of our imaginations. So today we enter into the deepest, darkest, most infernal realm ever known, hell. So, the we're not so just so you know, this whole thing, it's not going to be me evangelizing anything. Um, I simply, I literally went to Wikipedia, I looked up hell, and I s- scrolled through and read sort of the different, um, the different versions uh, of hell that are out there um, in various faiths across the world and throughout history. 
Um, and I wanted to sort of uh, look through them, see where the idea sort of comes from, and see how different people interpret it. And really, you know, what is what is the point of it all? Because it is a f it is a really fascinating and, and unique concept uh, as far as spirituality is concerned. So starting off, let's get into sort of the the main idea and sort of uh, a little bit of uh, where the term hell comes from. So the realm of hell in many religions it goes by many different names, but it is usually a location where the souls of the deceased are tormented for their transgressions in life. So for some religions, such as Christianity, hell is an actual place that the soul is sent to to be tortured for all of eternity uh, with no end. Um, and in other religions, some of them are some of them have a more cyclical spiritual system like Buddhism or Hinduism. Um, they might describe a place where the soul might be trapped while they await their next uh, reincarnation cycle. Uh, and then there are the religions that they don't really have a definite version of hell, but they instead speak of a place where all the dead people reside, like the underworld, which we will talk about. Um, so, starting off with a little entomology for those who like words or the history of where words come from, uh, the word hell as we know it, uh, it typically is uh, traced back to the Old English word of hell or hella, um, which has a variety of meanings, but it generally means uh, the realm of the dead. Um, it's also connected to the Norse god who is called hell, and uh, she watches over the realm of the dead in Norse mythology, which is also called hell. Some, uh, some pieces of fiction, or some people call it Helheim, um, but some just refer to it as hell. Um, there are also uh, later Germanic uses of the word hella, um, and they sort of uh, use it, they attach it as a descriptor um, to describe people with connections to the lands of the dead, um, people like witches who communicate with the dead, or necromancers who are said to raise the dead. Um, Later on, some religions, especially the more monotheistic ones, you know, the Abrahamic um, Christianity, uh, Islam, and Judaism, uh, they adopted a version of hell that had multiple layers or regions uh, engulfed in fire and inhabited uh, by demons. And this version of hell soon became the realm of eternal punishment that many people... Uh, associated with today. It's where you get um, sort of depiction of it in all of our popular culture and as far back as uh, the poet Dante um, in his uh, Divine Comedy, his whole section on Inferno, uh, where he goes through the different layers of hell. Um, and it, it's the same thing. It's the various rings. There's a lot of fire and torment and blood and gore and all of that. Um, but it's also interesting, I found out, that there are some versions of hell and different beliefs where instead of it being like a, a fiery pit uh, where you're constantly burning, some places they see it as sort of a, a nothingness. There's just nothing in there. Um, and others actually have it flipped around as a harsh and cold 
a place with no heat to speak of, which I find interesting because going back to sort of the, the Dante version of hell, um, you know, it's usually fire and brimstone for, you know, most of it, you know, most of the versions of hell. But when you get to the very bottom, the layer of uh, treachery, I believe, is the final layer. Um, and that is where Lucifer is, you know, the, the angel who um, who rebelled against God and is said to have become uh, Satan. Uh, he's down there, but the that whole layer of treachery is um, is said to be super cold. It's said to be, you know, everyone is frozen, everyone is frostbitten down there. Um, so I find it interesting that, at least in Dante's version of it, um, he uh, he's apparently either knowingly or unknowingly incorporated these uh, two sort of themes of uh, what hell looks like. So as we continue to talk about hell in this episode, we're going to try to focus on the various uh, versions and depictions of hell throughout the different religions or schools of spiritual thought that talk about a concept of hell. So most of my personal understanding comes from the Catholic interpretation because that's what I was raised on, but I'll try to do my best to cover the other versions with the best of my ability. Uh, so, and recall, this is all coming, I'm reading this all off of the Wikipedia page for hell, um, which is actually very in-depth, um, which I find I found pretty fascinating. Um, so you can go there and sort of double-check my work and look at the stuff I left out, and I'm just going to put a blanket statement over. There's going to be some, uh, there's going to be some other, um, there's going to be some words, some language that I don't know how to pronounce because they are from different languages and I am very much a, a white male from Midwestern United States. So uh, I apologize to anyone who maybe knows the correct pronunciation Um and I might get it wrong because people are uh, kind of uh, particular about that. So, uh, without further ado, let's start. We're going to go through the uh, polytheistic religions. Uh, polytheism is, of course, it's a, it's a religion that has uh, multiple gods in it or godly figures in it. Um, and so, starting in the continent of Africa, so Africa, you know, it's a continent with rich history it offers us many different tribes and cultures with various spiritual beliefs. Uh, there are some similarities between them, but there are their fair share of differences, um, especially when it comes to their own versions of an afterlife as well. So in Swahili mythology, their version of hell is called uh, Kuzimu, uh, which is said to be a cold place of the dead that is believed to originate uh, the, the concept of it is believed to originate from Islamic merchants that were trading in the cultural regions at the time. Um, now, in the uh, Serer, or Serer, uh, S-E-R-E-R, religion, uh, that comes from Senegal in West Africa, it gives us a version of an afterlife with no location um and it's not equivalent to Western versions of heaven or hell. Instead, for them, spiritual fulfillment of oneself 
it's found by closely following their doctrine while they are alive, their sort of belief system. And what happens is that this allows a person's soul to easily travel uh, through this realm called um, Janyu, J-A-A-N-I-W, Janyu. Um, it's it's known to be the sacred dwelling place of the soul in the in the Sarer doc, doctrine or the Sarer belief system, um, and it's where one's ancestors reside. And you know, being there's great attachment to um, the ancestors and the spirit of the ancestors in a lot of um, African belief. Um, and so to reside with one's ancestors in the spiritual realm in the afterlife is sort of the, the highest um, the highest praise. It's closest to a heaven um, that members of this faith um, can can get to. Now it is said that those who don't follow the doctrine or who you know do wrong or anything, they are said to become wandering souls in the afterlife, and they're just unable to find uh, the, well, the way to their ancestors, and so they sort of wander that astral plane uh, through all eternity. Um, and then finally, we have the uh, Yoruba people of um, uh, a location in Nigeria. Um, they, they have a similar belief in afterlife where souls are confined to one of two different realms. It's said that the good-natured people are brought to Orun Baba Eni, the, which is uh, called the Heaven of Our Fathers. So similar, it is a, it is a realm that is um, supposedly uh, inhabited by uh, one's ancestors. Um, but the wicked, you know, the ones who have done bad in life, are confined to Orun Apadi, uh, which is called the heaven of the uh, post herds, post threads, something along those lines. Um, but I, but yeah, it's it's kind of the same thing. It's a different version of uh, the afterlife where um, you're not with your ancestors or anything, and so in a way that is um, meant to be torturous. Um, so moving on, we have uh, a view coming out of ancient Egypt. Um, and this, it, this view, from what I understand of uh, after reading this, is that Egypt um, obviously had very, they had different periods of certain belief systems. Um, and so it's kind of all over the place, um, but it, um, you know, it, it, it offered a differing view of sort of what the afterlife was, and it looks like here, so it, it said that later on there was more of a, a moral fitness um, that was put into the, the belief system or the afterlife system of um, uh, someone who would die. So it says here, At death a person faced judgment by a tribunal of 42 divine judges. If they had led a life in conformance with the uh, precepts of the goddess Ma'at, who represented truth and right living, the person was welcomed into the heavenly reed fields. 
If found guilty, the person was thrown to Amit, the devourer of the dead, and would be condemned to the lake of fire. Uh, the person taken by the devourer is subject first to terrifying punishment and then annihilated. These depictions of punishment may have influenced medieval perceptions of the inferno and hell via early Christian and Coptic text. Uh, purification for those considered justified appears in depictions of Flame Island, uh, where humans experience the triumph over evil and re rebirth. Uh, for the damned, complete destruction into a state of non-being awaits, but there is no suggestion of eternal torture. Uh, the weighing of the heart in Egyptian mythology can also lead to annihilation. So, kind of wrapping all of that up, um, you know, there have been depictions of uh, some of how it works in the afterlife. You know, you go before Anubis um, and some of the other gods, and they weigh uh, your heart on the scale. Um, and I believe if it is uh, if it is heavier than a feather, you're guilty. Um, if it's uh, the same or lighter than a feather, you're not. That kind of thing. But in this version here, it they basically are judged, and they either go to um, this realm, this uh, this place of um, reed fields, which I think is sort of similar to uh, how Africans view it. It's just a plane of existence where souls of the dearly departed might also be and you get to live out eternity with them uh, but what's interesting here is like it says it depicts them as being thrown into a lake of fire which is how a lot of uh, Christians now they describe hell they describe it as the lake of fire um, and so it, it's interesting to see that this is just one of the many 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 things in our modern day life that sort of come from um, the Egyptian belief system um, and how it all works. But what's also interesting here is that I think this is applying or saying that for the tormented people thrown into the lake of fire is that once they go through their period of torment, they then suffer um, an annihilation. Instead of them being tormented for all of eternity like in other versions of hell, they sort of, they get tortured, and then they uh, are sort of banished from existence. Um, they're sort of uh, wiped away, like completely gone. You know, that's it for you, the final, final death. Um, and that's an interesting concept to me, uh, because so much of when we talk about either just the afterlife in general... Um, or these realms of heaven and hell and everything. I think for early believers, one of the reasons they uh, started talking about this idea of an afterlife is because the idea of just plain death is scary. You know, the nothingness, the end on the other side. Um, and so this idea of, well, no, it, the, the life keeps going. It just keeps going in a different form. Uh, I think that's why that concept sort of takes hold in the histories of all of these religious beliefs. Um, but it's it's just interesting that, you know, uh, certain beliefs, these ancient Egyptian beliefs, had this idea of sort of a final end, something that's it's not eternity, 
but just the complete end of your entire existence. I find that uh, very interesting to um, to talk about. Um, there are various depictions of it in Asia and ancient Asia, especially. Um, there are various uh, there are various different religious beliefs uh, talking about places uh, with names like the, the Gimokodan, uh, which is believed to be more of an other world where the quote red region is reserved for those who died in battle, while ordinary people go to the white region. And the Dharmic religions, uh, they have places like uh, Kalichi or Naraka. Um, according to a few sources, hell is below ground and described as an uninviting, wet, or fiery place reserved for symbol people in the Ainu religion. Um, this is stated by a, a missionary called John uh, Batchelor. Um, but Apparently, according to the more oral traditions of the Ainu people, it's believed that the soul of a, the soul of a deceased person becomes a a, a kamui, which uh, I believe is a it, it's a spiritual being. It's um, you know a spiritual or divine being um, composed of uh, spiritual energy. So basically, you know, a, a spirit or a ghost, the way we'd say it. But I don't think they're sort of the same as um, as how we see ghosts as just you know figures haunting a particular location or anything. I believe I'm not entirely sure. This just comes from the hearsay that I've heard of uh, the Ainu faith. Is that it kind of just goes into the the big spirit ball in the sky, basically. You return to the earth, the energy of the nature and everything. That's typically how these belief systems go, but don't quote me on that because obviously I know very little to nothing about uh, the Ainu religion. Um, but it's also believed in the Ainu religion that... Um, someone who sort of died a, a violent death or who was wicked or committed suicide or anything, they'd become, um, they'd become a ghost who would haunt the living. Um, and, you know, they try to come to fulfillment of what they lost in life kind of thing, which is similar to what we say ghosts are here in the West, um, some people say they are wayward souls who have unfinished business or who died a very, um, a very horrid death, um, and you know need help passing on that kind of thing. Um, there are also other depictions of it uh, in Asia. Then we go into places like Mesopotamia. Uh, in Mesopotamia, the underworld is sort of, it seems to be sort of a bleak domain, a shadowy version of Earth. Um, uh, this bleak domain was known as Kur and was believed to be ruled by the goddess Ereshkigal. All souls went to the same afterlife and a person's actions during life had no effect on how the person would be treated in the world to come. Uh, this is, you know, I don't think it's the first time uh, it's happened in history. I might be wrong because this is Mesopotamia, so that's pretty old. 
Um, but it's it's interesting here um, that sort of every it's sort of in my way saying that even that in death we are all the same. You know, we are all we are all equal. Um, you know, the grave comes for us whether we are rich or poor, you know, um, good or evil, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, the, the afterlife is sort of a bleak thing. Um, but it also says here that uh, family members of the deceased uh, would ritually pour libations into a dead person's grave uh, through a clay pipe, therein allowing the dead to drink because it is believed that um, in the land of Kerr, the the souls are only able to eat nothing but dry dust, and so this pouring of libations is sort of a way to um, to help out uh, or to sort of um, lessen the suffering of um, lessen the suffering of the dearly departed. Uh, you know, later beliefs or later um, evidence states that. There, it might have been a bit more divisive, saying that um, there are some belief systems in ancient Mesopotamia that says uh, if you prayed to this god, you would get favor in the afterlife and that kind of thing. Um, but that's sort of the the general overview of it. And again, you can read this all for yourself and see what you like. I just find it uh, kind of cool um, how unique this version of it is saying, you know, it's not like, it's not like the good or favored over the bad. Um, it's, it's more of, uh, I guess part of you can say it's more disheartening saying, well, then what's the point of being good if we're all going to the same afterlife anyway? Um, but really I think it, uh, it, it speaks to your character and to how people will remember you because if you were, you know, an asshole your entire life um, and then die, your friends and family probably aren't going to spend the time or the money or anything to ritually, you know, pour these libations into your grave so that you can suffer less. Um, and so, and also the, the whole ritual thing, it sort of uh, keeps the family tied to the memory of the uh, deceased, which is something that a lot of this afterlife uh, belief systems in various different religions sort of seek to accomplish. It seeks to uh, help us remember those that we have lost and celebrate their lives, uh, their memories in a sort of way. Um, so that could also be sort of what is being talked about. Um, so moving on to Europe, there is a there's a bunch of different ones there's so many different ones to talk about um and i don't think we've already talked about the the norse version of of hell the afterlife um ruled by the god hell the realm of hell or hellheim and from what from my understanding is that basically everyone goes to Helheim. Um, uh, everyone goes to hell um, just when they die. It's it's very much just the realm of the dead where the dead go. The only difference is that the individuals who were you know uh, like the Vikings or 
Um, anyone who believed in Norse mythology said to have been a brave warrior who died valiantly in battle or anything, they might be welcome to Valhalla, the Hall of the Gods, um, to, you know, help uh, Zeus, or not Zeus, wrong pantheon, uh, to help Odin um, in the Battle of Ragnarok. Uh, where all the souls will go and fight all of the, the monsters and other realms that seek to destroy uh, the gods during Ragnarok, and, you know, it, it goes on from there. Um, there's a great series, I think it's still on Netflix right now, it's called Myths and Monsters. It sort of goes over the, the mythic tales um, that, we, uh, that we have all grown up with throughout history of, you know, King Arthur, the gods... Um, you know, the all those tales of mythology and everything and sort of how they connect to us as uh, human beings. And they talk about, um, in, in the context of the end of the world, they talk about the story of Ragnarok and go deeper into the Norse faith. And so I, I recommend that. Um, but going on, uh, going into Greece and Rome, in Greek mythology, below heaven and earth, um, and... There is, uh, there is also Pontus, there is Tartarus, um, and ba yeah, so Tartarus is sort of the, the version of hell in the underworld. Um, it's either described as a deep, gloomy place, a pit, or an abyss, used as a dungeon of torment and suffering that resides within Hades, which is the entire underworld, but is also the god of the underworld. Hades. Um, in the Gorgias, uh, which was written by Plato, the philosopher, uh, he wrote that the souls of the deceased were judged after they paid for the crossing of the river of the dead, and those who received punishment were sent to Tartarus. Uh, as a place of punishment, uh, it can be considered a hell. The classic Hades, on the other hand, is similar to the Old Testament version of Sheol, uh, which I think we'll talk about when we get to the um, the Jewish version of it. Um, and then the Romans later adopted the views because basically the Roman pantheon was the same as the Greek pantheon. They had a tendency to just take people's gods and uh, use them for, their, for themselves. Uh, and so they have their similar version. But yeah, this is where... Uh, is where we get the concept of things like uh, paying the ferryman or anything. You know, you're uh, you're paying Chiron, the uh, the boatman over the river Styx, that kind of thing. Um, and so that's why you usually that's why I believe they would put either uh, gold coins under the deceased person's tongue. Or I think that's also why some people had uh, the coins over their eyes to pay this sort of ferryman um, so that you could safely cross the River Styx. Um, uh, moving on, we're going to go into the uh, Abrahamic religions. Again, these are all, these are the big three that people talk about when they talk about religion, uh, Judaism, uh, Christianity, and Islam. And we're going to uh, sort of talk about it. Um, so, Judaism, according to this, it doesn't have a specific doctrine about the afterlife. It does have some more mythical or orthodox 
a tradition describing a place called uh, Gehinnom or Gehenna. Uh, Gehenim is not hell, but originally a grave, and in later times a sort of purgatory where one is judged based on one's life, uh, their deeds, or rather where one fully becomes aware of one's own shortcomings and negative actions during one's life. The Kabbalah explains it as a waiting room or an entryway for all souls, not just the wicked, just all souls. Um, the overwhelming majority of rabbinic thought maintains that people are not in Gehinnom forever. The longest that one can be in there is said to be 12 months. However, there have been exceptions to the rule. Uh, some consider it a spiritual forge where the soul is purified for its eventual ascent into Olam Haba, or the world to come, uh, which is said to be heaven. It is also mentioned in the Kabbalah where the soul is described as breaking, uh, like the flame of a candle lighting another, the part of the soul that ascends being pure and the unfinished piece uh, being reborn. So there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff sort of going on here, um, but I think it sort of all comes back to this idea of, um, and this kind of goes into the Christian idea too of sort of the end of the world. Um, there's this belief that um, you know when the world ends, all of the all of the dead souls will be resurrected and sort of brought into heaven. So in Judaism, it might just be that um, that when a soul die, when a person dies, their soul is placed into this waiting room and sort of um, and sort of comes to understand uh, their lives and their shortcomings within their lives, but they're waiting for uh, the the moment in the in the spiritual future where all souls are brought into or um, brought into this idea of of heaven um, that also might be a possibility um, according to Jewish teachings hell is not entirely physical rather it can be compared to a very intense feeling of shame people are ashamed of their misdeeds and it constitutes suffering which makes up for the bad deeds. Uh, when one has so deviated from the will of God, one is said to be in Gehenna. It is not meant to refer to some point in the future, but to a very present moment. The gates of Teshuva return are said to be always open, so one can align his will with that of God at any moment. Being out of alignment with God's will is in itself a punishment according to the Torah. Now, I, I like this version of it as well um, that the the concept of the concept of hell or I even like this saying in the concept of sin it's not necessarily like a check mark against your soul that uh, guarantees you passage um, or an eternity of torment into hell I think instead the idea of sin is this pulling away from uh, what it means to be close to uh, to God or to uh, a godly presence, um, because you know if you indulge yourself uh, in life and all of life's uh, in all of life's physical nature, you know the the physical love, the money, 
uh, the wealth, everything you know that is tangible to you, then I believe that your version of hell would just be something similar. It would be an eternity with these uh, tangible feelings or what these tangible sort of desires. Um, but instead, that keeps you away from, uh, from sort of quote-unquote God's light, we'll call it, uh, which to some people, it's the higher realm of understanding. It's why some people spend their lives seeking knowledge um, or meditating on it uh, or living their lives in a certain way because there is that higher understanding that goes by so many different names um, that the human beings are trying to rise to and if you're not inclined to rise to it then you're going to be in a hell of your own making uh, which could be fine for you you know if your favorite thing to do is eat all of the delicious foods of the world then maybe that's your version of hell is you're just stuck in what would be Dante's realm of gluttony and you just you know eat to your heart's desire for all eternity that could be a version of hell. It, it could be one that, uh, it's one that I sort of more identify with. Hell is not necessarily a place of torment where you're being tortured by demons or devils or anything. It's more of a state of being that is away from the ascended realm that our human consciousness is trying to move towards. And so I think here in the in the Jewish faith, um, these beliefs are sort of, they're closer, they're more on the money saying, you don't concern yourself with being in a physical place. That's not, that's not what it is. That's not what you should be worried about. Um, what it means is that if you diverge from these, uh, these teachings of God, um, then you're going to be away from God, and then you're going to be put into a hell of your own making. But it's also interesting because they specifically say that the gates to this sort of hell, um, the it's always open. So, and that's something that's in Dante's Inferno as well, is that when he describes the gates, he doesn't describe them as being locked, uh, enclosed like you would uh, a prison or a jail cell. The gates are wide open and people, the souls are filing in and out, uh, mostly in but sometimes out uh, willingly. And it's sort of this idea that, you know, hell isn't a forever place. It's a place you can stay for as long as you feel you need to or as long as you must until you understand that this is not what you want and you are called to something higher, which is what I think heaven is, or this heavenly body is. Um, that's enough ranting about me. Uh, there's also a whole bunch of uh, Hebrew uh, terms that they explain in here, like uh, the grave and the pit of corruption and everything. Obviously, all of it is in uh, Hebrew, which I uh, cannot pronounce very well. There's another thing that I kind of want to talk about, and I think it goes into this part a little bit, is early concepts of uh, this place called Gehenna, um, which some people are said to be the gates of hell, they, uh, it's or hell itself. Um, there have been people that are like, 
gates of Ge that Gehenna was actually a real place, basically. Uh, back in the sort of Middle Ages or anything coming up, uh, in, in the Middle East especially, there was literally a place where um, they would, it was like a trash heap, it was like a landfill that they would uh, dump all their trash and sometimes dump bodies uh, and they would burn it, you know, to, to, you know, get rid of the smell, I guess, but more like just to completely uh, dispose of it. And so it's believed that when some people say you will, you know, if you sin or anything, you will be, uh, you will find your place in Gehenna or whatever, it's not necessarily saying you're going to go to this metaphysical hell or this other realm of fire and torment. It's more of you're no better than trash, and so you're going to be thrown into a trash heap where it just constantly burns, because that's how trash heaps work. Um, so I, I, I just wanted to talk to... Yeah, look at this uh, right here. Gehenna refers to the Valley of Hinnom, which was a garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. It was a place where people burned their garbage and thus was always on fire. Uh, bodies of those deemed to have died in sin without hope of salvation, such as people who committed suicide, were thrown there to be destroyed. Uh, Gehenna is used in the New Testament as a metaphor for the final place of punishment for the wicked after the resurrection. So again, that's I think that's where it that's where this I, one idea of hell uh, comes from. Uh, getting into sort of my neck of, neck of the woods, I found this interesting reading up about it. The Roman Catholic Church defines hell as quote a state of definitive self-exclusion from communion with God and the blessed. Um, one finds oneself in hell as a result of dying in mortal sin without uh, repenting and accepting God's merciful love, becoming eternally separated from Him by one's own free choice immediately after death. In the Roman Catholic Church and many other churches, um, hell is taught as a final destiny of those who have uh, not been found worthy after the general re resurrection and last judgment, which is kind of talked about in the, the book of Revelation, I think, uh, where they will be eternally punished for sin and permanently separated from God. The nature of this judgment is inconsistent with many Protestant churches teaching the saving comes from accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior, while the Greek Orthodox and Catholic churches teach that the judgment hinges on both faith and works. Um, however, many liberal Christians throughout the mainline Protestant churches believe in universal reconciliation, uh, even though it contradicts the traditional doctrines are usually held by evangelicals within their denominations. Um, right. So it. So it's... We're talking about in Christianity here, and, and there's a bunch of different uh, leeway. Basically, all forms of Christianity, uh, except for some, they don't uh, most talk about hell. It exists. It's a place that uh, your soul can go through. But it seems here um, it's worded a bit, uh, a bit better than some people do because basically the idea, you know, a preacher will say, if you sin, you're going to hell, end of story, like, but it, it takes away some of this nuance that we talk about here 
where you know what you know what is hell is it is it a fit physical place but here this is what the Roman Catholic Church says it's a state of definitive self-exclusion from communion with God and the blessed and they're not saying it's a realm of fire that you're going to be burned in and punished um, that's sort of one concept of it but what they're really meaning is hell is when you deliberately say to yourself I'm not dealing with God or any of or any of what he's talking about um, you know I'm living in sin I'm not going to be sorry about any of it or accept God's love or anything like that um, that is sort of what their concept of hell is and so you know to some people I to some people I might be considered in hell because I haven't gone to church in a while uh, to be honest um, but it's not necessarily that I have stopped believing in my faith I just don't practice it as uh, as much as I used to um, and that's because I'm trying to I'm trying to learn about uh, learn more about about it from myself or anything so but anyway it's it's interesting that even in Christianity there are so many different versions of what hell is um, um, wh what I also found interesting is that Christian theologians subscribe to uh, the doctrines of conditional immorality or immortality sorry conditional immortality is the belief that the soul dies with the body and does not live again until the resurrection. So as with other Jewish writings, uh, the New Testament text dis dis distinguishes two words, both translated hell and uh, older English Bibles, Hades and Gehenna, uh, where God can destroy both body and soul. A minority of Christians read this to mean that neither Hades nor Gehenna are eternal, but refer to the ultimate destruction of the wicked in the lake of fire and consuming fire after resurrection. However, because of Greek words used in translating from the Hebrew text, the ideas sort of uh, come up differently. The Hebrew words for the grave or death or eventual destruction of the wicked were translating using Greek words and later text became a mix of mistranslation and everything. You can go and look up Bible, our, my Bible literalism episode way 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 back because it kind of talks about the same thing there's so many different translations and everything it's hard to tell what the real one is or not um, Christian mortalism is a doctrine that all men and women including Christians must die and do not continue and are not conscious after death therefore annihilationism includes the doctrine that the wicked are also destroyed rather than tormented forever in a traditional hell or lake of fire uh, annihilationisms are they're directly related to the doctrine of conditional immortality the idea that a human soul is not immortal unless it is given eternal life at the second coming of Christ and the resurrection of the dead so basically what this is saying is that uh, when you die you're not immediately going to heaven or hell or anything like that um, you're basically just dead you might be placed in uh, what people call purgatory uh, the idea of purgatory, which is kind of this middle state, um, which uh, some people like to call it a way station, where that's where you're judged, that's where uh, you sort of uh, get all your sins read out to you, and then you 
move on to either heaven or hell. Uh, so that could be what this annihilationism thing is, is that everyone dies and everyone uh, stays dead. They're nowhere in heaven or hell. But when the second coming uh, is brought into play and all the dead are resurrected, that's when it starts being like, okay, well, now you go to heaven uh, or hell. Um, there's so much more to cover, and I can't get to all of this, uh, even though it's kind of interesting to, to think about. Um, so we're, I'm going to move on to, uh, I'm going to move on to some of these last ones because this is going to be a long episode. Um, so in Islam, uh, Jahannam, uh, which is related to the Hebrew word Gehenim, uh, is a counterpart to heaven and likewise divided into seven layers, both coexisting with the temporal world filled with blazing fire, boiling water, and a variety of other torments for those who have been condemned to it in the hereafter. In the Quran, God declares that the fire of Jahannam is prepared for both mankind and jinn, and I think jinn are sort of their version of, uh, of demons, sort of. Um, after the day of judgment, it is to be occupied by those who do not believe in God, those who have disobeyed his laws, or rejected his messengers. Enemies of Islam, quote-unquote, are sent to hell immediately upon their deaths. Uh, Muslim modernists downplay the vivid descriptions of hell, um, common during the classical period, on one hand reaffirming that the afterlife must not be denied, but they're also asserting that the exact natures are unknown. So basically they're saying, hey, a lot of people used to talk about hell pretty, pretty vividly, but we don't we know it's there, we believe it's there, but we don't know the specifics about it, so we're not going to act like we know the specifics about it. Um, other modern, modern Muslims continue the line of surfism as an in, uh, interior, interiorized hell, um, combining the es eschatological thoughts of Ibn Arabi and Rumi in Western philosophy, Although disputed by some scholars, most scholars consider Jahannam to be eternal. There is belief that the fire which represents the own uh, bad deeds can already be seen during the punishment of the grave, and that the spiritual pain caused by this can lead to the purification of the soul. Not all Muslims and scholars agree whether hell is an eternal destination or whether some or all of the condemned will eventually be forgiven, and allowed to enter paradise. So it's very similar to uh, the uh, the Christian idea of hell, and it has uh, some mention of sort of Jewish thought, I believe, in there. Um, it's but it seems kind of all over the place, um, which I, I kind of like. I like that um, it's not one hundred percent set in stone, um, and it doesn't seem like. Uh, they are all 100% uh, in the Islamic faith, at least. They don't seem, uh, they seem to want to constantly question it and keep it more fluid, which I think is nice. I think a rigid doctrine um, is, it can be kind of damaging in the long run because it doesn't really grow in shape with new discoveries or new knowledge or new belief structures or anything. And then that kind of ends up uh, creating some serious conflict down the uh, down the road here. Um, 
let's see, over hell, a narrow bridge called Asirat is spanned. On Judgment Day, one must pass over it to reach paradise, but those destined for hell will find it too narrow and fall into their new abode. Uh, Iblis? Iblis? The temporary ruler of hell is thought to be uh, residing in the bottom of hell from where he commands his hosts of infernal demons. Um, but it, what's interesting is that different from the Christian belief system, uh, this version of hell, which is, I guess it's closer to the Islamic version of a Satan who controls all the demons, they don't rage war on God or anything. Uh, this entity apply this uh, entity really is only against humanity itself. Uh, further, this dominion in hell uh, is also his punishment. Uh, and that kind of just goes into a bit more um, that kind of goes into a, a bit more of what it is. It goes into the different uh, stages of punishment um, mentioned in the Quran, which uh, it's, I love, it just starts with Gehenna, and then it just goes, like, five different versions of fire, and then abyss. It's Gehenna, fierce blaze, crushing fire, raging fire, scorching fire, and then a furnace, and then you're in the infernal abyss. Um, that is metal as hell. Um, I, I kind of want to see if I can just look up videos about it and learn a bit more. Uh, it goes into a bit. It goes into a lot, lot more about um, uh, about the Islamic version as well. And I say you guys should definitely check it out. You should check out all of these religions just outside of the concept of hell, also, because I'm very fascinated to learn about these and how how just how similar they are as well um, is kind of interesting. Um, I'm kind of I'm gonna. I've been going pretty long. I'm going to try to get through... Uh, I'm going to mainly get through... Um, uh, I'm going to get through Buddhism and Hinduism here because I think those are the other big two. There are a bunch of other smaller denominations uh, and faith systems on this uh, Wikipedia article um, that you can also look into. Um, I just don't think... I'd, I'd probably have to go another hour or half an hour at least uh, if I were to talk about them but uh, let's uh, go through here um, they, let's see Buddha teaches about hell in vivid detail Buddhism teaches that there are five sometimes six realms of rebirth which can be uh, further subdivided into degrees of agony or pleasure uh, of these realms the hell realms or Naraka is the lowest realm of rebirth. Of the hell realms, the worst is Avicii, not the artist, uh, but I think Avicii, uh, it is kind of Sanskrit and Pali for uh, without waves is sort of what it's called. Um, the Buddha's disciple, Devadatta, who tried to kill the Buddha on three occasions, as well as create a schism, and the monastic order is said to have been reborn in the Avicii hell. Like all realms of rebirth in Buddhism, rebirth in the hell realms is not permanent, um, though suffering can persist for eons before being reborn again. In the Lotus Sutra, the 
Buddha teaches that eventually even Devada, the guy who tried to kill Buddha three times, uh, will become a... Uh, I'm going to try. Pratyetka Buddha himself emphasizing the temporary nature of the hell realms. Thus, Buddhism teaches uh, to escape the endless migration of rebirths, both positive and negative, through the attainment of uh, nirvana. So, the way I understand it um, in in Buddhism, of course, is it, it is a system of rebirth. You die, you get reborn, uh, similar to depending on how you lived uh, your life, and you keep going until you reach uh, their version of what I'm going to say is godhood or uh, the higher being of existence, uh, which is nirvana. It's sort of above the physical plane. It's when you're completely spiritually fulfilled, and that's why they have this belief of you're just going to keep going around and around until you have, until you get it right, basically. You've obtained everything you need to obtain spiritually, and you get to come to nirvana and so it sounds like their version of hell it is sort of it sounds like an unpleasant place where you can be sort of uh tormented for a long time but it's not permanent uh you can you know you can come back to life you can be reborn again um and you know even if you spend time in those hell realms uh you can come back um and sort of uh and sort of reinvent yourself, I guess, uh, with this idea of rebirth, um, which I, I think is also very nice um, that that option is there. The, the idea of sort, I like the idea of just the open gates of hell where, you know, if, you, if you're bad or, you know, you've done something wrong in your life, uh, you can go in there, you can atone, you can make up for it, and then once you're sort of, once you're sort of, fulfilled in that sort of sense and that's all behind you you get to just wash it all off and say i'm ready to to either ascend to the next realm to ascend to something better um it it's it it's a bit more uh happier i guess as far as a version of hell goes um going into hinduism uh there are various uh different um there's some differences, but it's also somewhat similar to uh, Buddhism as well. Early Vedic religion does not have a concept of hell. The Rigveda mentions three realms, Bur, which is the earth, Svar, which is the sky, and the Bhuvas, or Antariska, which is the middle area, or the air, or usually the atmosphere. In later Hindu literature, especially the law books and the Puranas, uh, more realms are mentioned, including a realm similar to hell called Naraka, which we've talked about before. Um, Yama, as the firstborn human, uh, by virtue of precedence, becomes ruler of men and a judge on their departure. Originally, he resides in heaven, but later... Especially in medieval traditions, he's mentioned his court in Naraka. Um, Naraka is said to be a place of punishment for misdeeds. It is a lower spiritual plane where the spirit is judged and the partial fruits of karma affect the next life. In the Mahabharata, I know that because of ancient aliens, <laughs> um, there is a 
there's a mention of the Pandavas and the Kuavas or Kuravas, uh, both going to heaven at first. Uh, Yanhishter, I am not saying any of these right. Um, these are all so much. I am too white for any of this. Uh, it is believed that people who commit misdeeds go to hell and have to go through punishments in accordance with the misdeeds they committed. Uh, the god Yama, who is also the god of death, presides over hell. Detailed accounts of all the misdeeds committed by an individual are kept by uh, Chitragupta, who is the record keeper in Yama's court. Chitragupta reads out the misdeeds committed and Yama orders appropriate punishments to be given to individuals. These punishments include dipping in boiling oil, burning in fire, torture using various weapons, etc., in various hells. Uh, individuals who finish their quota of punishments are reborn in accordance with their balance of karma. All created beings are imperfect and thus have at least one misdeed to their record, but if one has generally led a uh, meritorious life, one ascends to uh, Svarga, uh, a temporary realm of enjoyment similar to paradise after a brief period of expiation in hell and before the next reincarnation according to the law of karma. Uh, with the exception of Hindu philosopher Madhva, time in hell is not regarded as eternal damnation within Hinduism. So, again, Kind of similar to um, to Buddhism, uh, there are various realms that one goes through uh, in the reincarnation process, uh, and Naraka seems like uh, one of those um, where they are judged for their sins in life. They are given punishment equivalent to those sins, and once they are once they have completed all of those, they are able to sort of continue on uh, their journey in. Um, their journey in the reincarnation cycle. Um, so that pretty much does it again. There's so, there's a bunch more, there's a bunch more little ones uh, here and there. Um, but yeah, that kind of covers it all. It covers, uh, it covers briefly the, the different beliefs of, of hell um, and what it is and uh, what it does and what it sort of does for us. So again, I, I'm sort of more on the line of I like to know where some of these belief structures uh, come from in a historical matter, you know, as far as uh, I, I like that understanding because uh, it, um, it, it makes it lets me know that uh, what when I do choose to believe in it, uh, I'm not doing it because of I'm not doing it because of ignorance. Or, or fear or anything like that. I'm doing it more of a sense of understanding, like, okay, I get where they're coming from with this. And researching uh, all this stuff in hell, um, it is, it's just been really interesting because it shows that sort of my, my personal ideas of what hell was like isn't too far from the truth. Um, uh, I'm, you know, I have this idea for a novel that I'm writing uh, in the future, and it is very, it is set in hell. 
um, with all of, you know, the demons and the tortured souls and everything. But the more I think into it, the more I didn't want hell to be just the stereotypical place of torment and fire. And instead, um, I've turned it into this concept similar to what we talk about where, um, a, a sinful soul, when they die, they are brought into a purgatory where they are shown their sins and their transgressions, and through a completely neutral playing field, um, they determine for themselves uh, if they are, you know, you know what their afterlife entails, and then, you know, they go to their version of hell, whichever one allows them to indulge. Uh, in whatever afterlife they want, um, but then the ones who are truly prepared get to go to heaven. Um, but looking at all of these, I think it's just, it's part of it, I think, is a way to discourage, obviously, against the the evil, the wicked in the world. Because, again, if you have if you have a religion where everyone gets to go to heaven, then in the mortal world, you're going to say, well, what's the point of me uh, treating my neighbor as well as I treat myself? What's the point in giving homage to these gods or this god or doing all of these things for the service of community? I should just be in the service of myself, right? And do what I want to do in this mortal place because then I just get to go to paradise. Um, So I think a lot of these earlier religions, they had... Uh, they came up with this very similar concept uh, of an afterlife where uh, if you are wicked, um, you know, your afterlife will also be, it it will not be a a great place. It will be cold. It will be on fire. It will be, uh, it will be uncomfortable. Um, You will, you know, you're going to suffer for what you did. I think it also gives peace of mind to uh, people, even nowadays, um, that still hold these beliefs because, you know, there there are evil people in this world, truly evil people. I've been, you know, I listen to a lot of true crime um, going into a lot of awful, awful people, and the idea that they can just you know, some of them, they don't receive punishment for what they did in life, or the punishment they did receive is nowhere near the punishment that they, you know, should have received. And so I think we always like to fall back on this concept of um, of heaven or hell uh, as sort of a way to bring, uh, to sort of tie up uh, these loose ends in a nice little bow um, for both the good and the evil uh, of everything. And so I, I would, you know, this also makes me want to to talk a bit more about uh, the different versions of heaven that are out there or what heaven means for different people. I have a feeling it is similar to this. It's very much uh, the same sort of concept, just told a bunch of different ways. Um, this has been very... Uh, it's been very enlightening for me to see just how similar uh, a lot of religions can be um, in terms of, you know, in terms of these similar concepts such as hell. You know, you, you talk about 
uh, you talk about all these religions, it's like, oh, they're all so, so different. You know, they're nowhere near each other. And on some levels, they, they are completely different, and that's what gives them, you know, merit, I think. But also, I think it's just worth noting that how similar they are to how, you know, in, you know, in the continent of, in the continent of Asia and Africa and Europe, um, and everything, the, uh, this, this concept uh, of a, of a torturous afterlife is nothing new. Um, it's sort of persisted in a way throughout history into what we have now. Um, so, you know, if I, if I could wrap this whole thing up in a nice little bow, which I don't think I can, but what I would say is that, um, I wouldn't, if you're out there and you're a spiritual person, uh, believing what you want to believe, I don't think it helps to live your spiritual life in fear of hell, in fear of what that is, um, and what could await you. Because I, you know, it's definitely a good discouraging factor to um, to help those who can no longer, uh, who are unable to justify why they would not need to be uh, evil pieces of shit. Um, but what I will say is, if most of us out there have that capacity to know that what we do is wrong, what we do can affect, uh, those around us in a negative way. Um, and so we, and so we need to live our lives so that we are not transgressing against one another so much. And we basically just need to, we need to live a good life. We need to have, uh, we need to live lives in which, uh, we treat others fairly. We respect others. You know, we strive, um, to help the, the poor and the weak and the hungry and all that good stuff and live lives that, uh, that we can be proud of and, um, that those we, uh, love and care for can also, um, be proud of and look up to us about it. And if we do that, then this idea of hell is never going to, you know, cross our minds or, uh, or come into our hearts or anything. So again, hell is scary. It is a scary thing. And there, and especially all these movies and books and everything, uh, when it comes to demons or, or depictions of hell or the people who said they've, you know, had a near-death experience and been to hell, it is all very scary. Um, but I think if you, you know, if you live your life and if you go through your faith or your belief system uh, simply to stay out of hell then it loses a lot of merit. A lot of your spirituality loses a lot of merit. The same way that, you know, if I, you know, if I lived my life as a completely shitty person and then had the belief that as long as I uh, have reconciliation with my priest, then everything's good and I get to go to heaven, that depletes the idea of what heaven is and what the faith and the belief systems actually are, and it's kind of a cop-out. So again, don't put too much thought into what this thing a hell is. Don't too, put too much thought into it, and don't 
uh, stop preaching fire and brimstone to people because that doesn't, you know, it, it'll scare a few people, but for the most, it's kind of lost its touch over the years. And I think it's more, I think it's more effective to go to someone and preach uh, that, you know, we need to help our fellow man and we need to come together as a community and stop the, the evils that plague us, that kind of thing. Um, so without further ado, that's hell. That's all, you know, that's as much as I can go into. Uh, this is shaping up to be uh, one of my longest podcast but hey it i i enjoyed it um i enjoyed reading about it it was very fascinating and i hope you guys enjoyed it i felt this was one of the the best ways to sort of put a pin in the 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 last weekend the last show of the spooky halloween season i hope you all have enjoyed uh, this episode i hope you all are having or have had a good uh halloween weekend uh, you know, gone out, done trick-or-treating, if you still do that, gone out to some parties, maybe just sit at home and watch some scary movies. I think that's what I'm going to do tonight. I'm just going to find a good scary movie and, uh, you know, get into the, the mood of the season before it goes away. Um, so that's going to be it for uh, this episode. As I said, uh, the next uh, the next sort of topic is Uh, in the works um, for November. What I think I am going to do is I, it's going to be, uh, and this comes from my co, my other coworker, Terry. Uh, She came, she gave me this concept and I like it a little bit. So I'm going to see if I can run with it this next month. It's going to be uh, a sort of look into Thanksgiving, not uh, both the holiday specifically that we celebrate. Uh, We're going to look at its history, we're going to look at its uh, traditions, and we're also going to try to go around and look at um, some other examples of a Thanksgiving-type festival or, you know, how do other cultures give thanks? Um, You know, they don't all do it at the, what, second, you know, second to last Thursday of November or whatever, you know, when do they do it? What do they do for it? You know, how does it differ from us? So it'll be something hopefully a bit more lighthearted, maybe not the history of Thanksgiving, but everything else will hopefully a bit more cheerful and lighthearted. Um, and that will, you know, be a good way for us to learn a bit more for the, for this next month. So thank you all so much for listening. I hope I got you excited for this next month coming up. Um, If you want to reach out to me, uh, T with T uh, podcast um, on Twitter. That's with me. Uh, That's the Talks with Terry podcast. Uh, I will check into that every now and then. Or better yet, TalksWithTerry at gmail.com. If you want to give me some comments, give me some criticisms, or let me know what you want in terms of a specific episode idea or a more month-long topic idea. I'd be happy to uh, see what I can do with you guys there. But thank you all so much for listening and giving this podcast a try. I hope you all have a very spooky Halloween and a very good uh, rest of your week. 
As always, I'm Terry. I'll see you guys in November. Thank you.